You're listening to the Believe in Islanders show with Matt Watney. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Believe in Islanders podcast. It's Matt Watling. It's New York Islanders. You know what it is. And this is a team that was, for me at least, very, very close to making me lose my mind this past week. The lost Arizona, we'll get to that. What kind of felt like the team might lose to Columbus trailing against them in the second period and the third period. Look, it was only a goal, but I was certainly panicking coming off, coming off of what was a very difficult game against Arizona. We'll get to all that later on. We also have Greg Wyshynski on the show of ESPN fame. He is one of the most hilarious guys that you will ever meet or speak to or hear from uh, that covers hockey. I was so excited to have him on for the show. I've been a huge fan of his for quite some time now. And the fact that I was able to chat with Greg for about 20 minutes or so and let you guys listen in on that, you know, in the middle of the show was an absolute treat. But before we get to the you know, the recap of the week, kind of what we saw, the maybe CL expectations have changed. We're pretty much a month into the season now. We're about 20% of the way through. How have our ex- expectations changed? We'll certainly get to that. Uh, we'll get to our top five, bottom five. We'll get to our picks. We were red hot last week. Let me tell you something. 3-0 and last week. Did I expect it? No. Did I expect to win money? Absolutely. But we're riding 3-0, and 8-4 and now. So if you haven't gotten on yet, Hop on starting this week because we've got a couple games that I really, really like a couple of these plays. But we'll get to that after the interview with Greg Wyshynski. And we'll start off with some interesting news. The New York Islanders earlier this week, I guess it was it today or yesterday, I guess it was, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, the Islanders waved Nikita Sashnikov. Uh, it felt like a, a cap space thing. There was no need. You're not bringing up any players as of right now. Uh, maybe is it a trade situation? But that's kind of, you know, weird. Look, you're saving maybe a couple grand every day you have them down there. If that, if that, and look, every penny counts when you're cap, you know, up against the cap. Um, but I don't quite understand the move. I also don't really care too much about Nikita Sashnikov. If he's here, great. If he's not, also great. Uh, this is a team that has some struggling forward. So I guess it's a bit surprising to see Sashnikov go down when you've got Bo and Josh Bailey kind of struggling. I wouldn't say in the doghouse, but they certainly haven't been too good. So the timing of this is kind of strange. And as, you know, Brian Windhorst once said, what's going on here? Right? And I'm doing that weird finger point that he did on ESPN. If you're listening to the podcast instead of watching on YouTube, I'm doing that finger pointing where he pointed to the sky and all of a sudden the, what was it? The Jazz traded all their players away. So what's going on here? We'll find out short, shortly. Maybe there's a, a young guy, maybe an Aturatsu you want to bring up, maybe a piece like that you want to bring up, but they need some help in the top nine, and they haven't quite gotten to it yet. But let's get back to the week that was. They lose to Arizona, a game I kind of said, I didn't say they were going to lose, but I did say it kind of makes sense that they would lose, right? Arizona has this weird, they just have a weird aura about them. Like every game they win, it feels like it's doomsday for the opposition because you're losing to Arizona. So that was tough for the Islanders. But again, the, the beauty of this team, even though you lose, is that you come right back and win your next two games. If this team, who's been now 9-2 and two in their last 11 games, loses to Arizona and then loses a game to Columbus, well, now we have a problem because you just got shut out in points, you know, 0-4 against two of the worst teams in the NHL. 
you know, two two for four is not great by any stretch, but you're never going to win every single game that you're supposed to win. You might lose some here and there. And Kirill Vemelka just played a very good game for the Coyotes. He wasn't tested all that much, but he played a great game. But for the Islanders to come back and beat Columbus, a team that you're supposed to beat, that's a nice touch. And then to go out there and just, I'm not going to say dominate Ottawa. I thought Ottawa played a fine game, but you never trailed against that team. That's really important. That is something that is, that's a win that doesn't look great right now because Ottawa's been struggling. But when you bank those two points on a maybe a 50-50 game, a weird start time against a team you don't see too much of that has a lot of talent, right? Claude Giroux, Debrinkit, all those pieces, you know, they struggled defensively and the Islanders took advantage of that, but they've got a lot of talent. So when you're able to come back and win a game like that and now stack two wins, looking to win again on Thursday against Nashville, and we'll get to that later on in the show, that is very big for a team that now sits second in the division. They've held there for the last week. Good for them. Will it continue? I don't know. We'll get to our expectations here shortly in a minute as well. But to go out there and come back against Arizona after losing that game to beat Columbus and to beat Ottawa is something that obviously this team last year couldn't have done. But it is something that in these last three games, you now have a points percentage of 66%, which I would imagine over the long haul is roughly going to get you to a playoff spot. So can you win two out of every three, three out of every four? I like the, I like those odds for the Islanders. They can keep doing that. So good on them. But now let's get to the last, I guess, 20 days or so, right? After your three-game losing streak, as we said, the Islanders 9-2 and two in their last 11 games. There's a lot of stats that come along with that, which sound kind of good, but then you read further into it. And it's a little fugazi, right? Not, you know, nine and two in your last 11 games, most wins in the NHL. Well, no, you're going to be close, right? No, duh. Like you, you played 11 games, you only lost two of them. Uh, best five on five save percentage at 956. I mean, your save percentage is going to be high because you're winning a lot of games. And then most goals is 38, which again, kind of makes sense. But let's talk about the positives for a minute of this stretch. They've scored. They are a top five offense in the NHL at this moment. So even though you scored a lot of goals in these 11 games because you won those games, you're not winning them two to one. And you're doing the thing that we didn't think you could do to start the season. And that is outscore the opponents. Because you look at this stretch and I will pull up their, their last 10 games here in a moment, they're not winning 2-1 games all that often, which is good and bad. I think it's good because now we're seeing they can actually score. I also think it's bad because you should be a little bit tighter defensively. You're not going to win every game 4-3. But since beating the the Rangers October 26th, beating them 3-0, you won 6-2, 5-4, 3-1, 5-2. You had a 3-0 loss and a 2-0 shutout uh, in that mix. 4-3, 4-3. 4-3, 4-2, like you're scoring four goals a game. That's, that's unheard of as an Islanders fan since Barry Trotz took over. And look, it's been 20% of the season. Is it sustainable? I, I don't know. Like we're going to find out. But I don't know if there's been a stretch of 10 games where the Islanders have scored this many goals, almost four per game in a very long time. And that's important for this team because the defense, when they get to the playoffs, they'll tighten up. We know that. What we didn't know is can they go out there and score? And frankly, they have. Um, let's look into more of the scoring. 
I think Nelson scoring a point per game player, I think he can be that. I really do. Like, say what you want about the age, and he's kind of blooming late a little bit, but he was very good under Barry Trotz. And Lane Lambert's only encouraged him to be more aggressive offensively. And that's been very, very beneficial to him now scoring 18 points in 17 games. Uh, when I look at Anders Lee, that's a kind of bugaboo in, in my eyes in terms of his production. And can he keep that up? Because you look at him, you say, well, all his goals are scored right in front of the crease. That right there is sustainable because it's a very high danger scoring percentage. There's a reason he almost always shoots higher than 15%. It's not because he's got a wicked shot. It's because he's right there scoring from, from two feet out. It's an easy putt. But for him to have what would be on pace for 39 goals this season, which I imagine is his career high, right? His career high right now is 40, and that happened in 2017-2018. Can he get back to 40 again? Like, can Anders Lee be a 40-goal scorer again? I, I just, I can't imagine he can, right, with his age. 32 years old, kind of on the, the downward spin, downward decline of his career. I mean, I guess the benefit is that he's missed some games the last little while due to COVID, due to some injury. So he doesn't quite have the, the wear on the tire that a normal 32-year-old might have. I don't know. Uh, that does concern me a little bit if I had to make one. But then you look at Chris Kreider, and I completely contradict myself because he scored all his goals last year in tight. And now he's not doing those things, and he's not scoring. So it's a very strange dynamic for Honors Lee and for this team. I guess one small concern, Oliver Wallstrom's got to shoot more. He has eight shots in his last six games and two points. In his first 10 games, he shot the puck on net 24 times. Like, he's a guy you need to see shoot more and be more active offensively. Because without that, without the puck on his stick, he or finding those open spaces to get shots off, he's not a passer. He's not Matt Barzell. He's not super fast with the puck on his stick. He's not the greatest defensive player. What he needs is the puck with a little bit of space and someone to set him up. And right now he's been struggling a little bit. Realistically, beyond Nelson, Lee, Barzell, that top six hasn't been great. You know, Parise has been nice. I think of him as more of a third-line player, but, like, Josh Bailey's got to be better. Anthony Beauvillier has got to be better. So a couple things there that kind of need to be worked out if you're the Islanders. Uh, one last thing, Matt Barzell has the most assists by a forward through 17 games with zero goals in the season with 18. Again, feels kind of cherry-picked. It's one of those like stats where you say, you know, on you know, this pitcher is the best pitcher in MLB history on Tuesday, on the first Tuesday of each month when the sun is shining in Kalamazoo. Kind of feels like that. Obviously not to that extent, but look, I spoke to Greg Wyshynski, and we'll get to him shortly, about this team about Matt Barzell and where he sits and Wishes his take on Matt Barzell not scoring any goals is very surprising to me because, look, you obviously are paid to score goals, and we'll hear from Greg momentarily, but you're also paid if you're Matt Barzell to make the players around you better. And he's done that 18 times. Has he scored those goals? No. But he's been, he's impacted the team enough to where they're scoring a little more goals than without him. I guess, you know, he's got good five on five numbers, he's got good puck possession numbers, things like that. So I think he's fine. I also think it's just a crazy start to the season that might never happen again. I mean, zero goals and 18 assists is crazy for Matt Barzell. But the team's winning, and that's all you care about. A um, couple more things to get through. Uh, do I expect the expectations change? Absolutely. 
Start of the year, I thought they were a fringe playoff team. This year, I would be absolutely disappointed if they were not a playoff team. I would be shocked if this team missed the playoffs at this point in the season. Not because they are the best of the best and they're going to stay you know, in the top five in the NHL all season long because Tampa's probably going to catch up to them. Colorado's probably going to catch up to them. The Flames could catch up to them. But I would be shocked if they missed the playoffs because right now, Pittsburgh stinks. They are old. Their goaltending is meh. They're aging. They played a lot of games in the playoffs the last several years. And the Capitals have more injuries than anybody else in the NHL, it seems like. And those two teams, along with Columbus and Philly, you have to be better than by the end of the season. So you're in the top four of your division, the Rangers, Carolina, and the Devils, and yourself. If you can be in that top four, I like your chances to make the playoffs. I like them. Something that is really surprising to me, though, and I love this guy, Dom Lushichin from The Athletic, and I apologize for the, the name butchering if I did. He has the Islanders at a 49% chance to make the playoffs in his model. They would actually get the second wild card based on his point projections at 93, but he's got the Penguins at 97 points, the Rangers at 92 and a half. And I understand kind of where it's coming from in the sense that his model is built off of game score value added, GSVA, of individual players. And when you look at the Islanders roster, their players don't have very high GSVAs. They just don't. Matt Barzell is, is middling. He's okay. He's a two-point something, I think it is, but he's not a superstar. You know, Josh Bailey is, is probably a negative or a .5. So you don't have – Brock Nelson isn't up there in the threes. So they don't have that star power that the Penguins have in GSVA. And when you run the simulation of the compiled number, this, this game score, it kind of makes sense that the Islanders aren't in that mix. But I wonder how you can tweak that kind of model to reflect how the team is played. And I wonder if you can even do that or if it's too complicated through, you know, in the middle of the season. But that's kind of surprising to me. It really is. Um, that the Islanders are kind of that low to make the playoffs, even though the Penguins have really struggled and they're right there. You know, they're 70% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, the Devils are 92%, which makes sense because they've been very good this season. They've gotten goaltending. But that's something that was kind of surprising to me. I'll quickly through it. We'll get through the puck headlines. Tanner Pearson of the Vancouver Canucks is out four to six weeks following hand surgery. They sit at four, seven, and three. And this might be the final straw to where you start seeing them sell off pieces. You know, Bo Horvat is probably going to go. You know, other free agents they might have. Because they might be dead by the end of this year. They might, you know, fire uh, their head coach. And it might be kind of time for them with this injury. And, and Pearson's not a star by any stretch of the imagination. But he is a very, very solid middle six kind of guy that maybe this is just time where they say, you know what, we're done. And Bo Horvath's a guy that's been tied to the Islanders to some extent because they need some help offensively. Would I prefer him or, or Patrick Kane? I think I lean Patrick Kane. You don't need to give him a multi-year contract extension if you don't want to. He seems like a pure rental to this point. I like the Stanley Cup experience that he has. I like that he can take over a game. And even though he's got eight points less than uh, Bo Horvath, who's got 14 goals through 17 games. I think I prefer the experience Patrick Kane has. And as Greg Wachinski said, he has an affinity for Matt Barzell. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, super ironic, though, speaking of trades and potential moves, the San Jose Sharks GM Mike Greer said he'd listen to trades on Eric Carlson, who is having a resurgent 
career for his season. 24 points, 10 goals. He's like top five in the NHL in goals as a defenseman. Much healthier than previous years. They've already moved Brett Burns. So he says, we'll move Eric Carlson if he wants to be moved. He's got trade protection. We can't move unless he wants to be. Kind of give or take whatever he wants. You know, who needs a player, who needs a defenseman, who said it at the GM meetings earlier this week, Pierre Dorian of the Ottawa Senators. Maybe we see a little reunion. Probably not, but one can hope. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, more likely, I imagine the Senators go after Jacob Chichern, who's expected to make his debut next week uh, for the Arizona Coyotes. He's the guy that pretty much wants to be out of there. They don't really want him there either. But in my eyes, it kind of makes sense that this team obviously moves on from Chitrin. And Ottawa, a young core, needs another young defenseman look to, to sign him who's already locked up to a pretty pretty good contract for the next couple of years. So expect that trade to come in the coming weeks, at least Chitrin, because he doesn't want to be in Arizona much longer, if at all. And the final news, P.K. Zubin joins ESPN as an analyst. I'm so excited to watch him. He's fun. He's charismatic. He's fresh. And, you know, he used to do the show with Rick DiPietro during the season on ESPN, and it was just electric. It was so much fun. So much fun. Uh, with that, we'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll hear from Greg Wyshynski, our interview with him. And after that, our top five, bottom five, some more national news to round up the show. But thank you for sticking with us here on the Believe in Islanders podcast. Up next, Greg Wyshynski. Welcoming Greg Wyshynski to the Believe in Islanders podcast, senior NHL writer for ESPN, one of the hosts for Puck Soup's Patreon, one of my favorite podcasts or hockey podcasts. So when I was able to bring in Greg, was super excited to have you. So Greg, how are you doing today? I'm good. I appreciate uh, you having me on the podcast. And I come on at a much better time for the Islanders than what we had around about a year ago, I think. Oh, so much better. And we'll start. That was, of course, a team last year that I think you had what? Winning the Stanley Cup before COVID kind of derailed their season. Yeah, well, yeah, it's obviously the COVID is what did it, and right. uh, and nothing else. Uh, yeah, I had him winning the cup. I was I was one of the people. It's like this. Like I made a a little uh, wager with myself before this season about whether I was right about the Islanders or Lou Lamarillo was right about the Islanders, and if I was right, then uh, the two years preceding my Stanley Cup pick. Uh, were anomalies because of the bubble and because of COVID. And I just got fooled by that. And that's why I picked them to win the cup. Lou's gamble in my mind was that last season was the anomaly and that this is actually a really good hockey team. And so they're not going to make any any moves. They're just going to kind of run it back with the same crew. I gotta say, so far I think Lou's probably winning the bet. I mean, things are going kind of good for the Islanders right now. Uh, but uh, but that in my mind was the gamble. Was I wrong about the two years leading up to my failed cup pick, or was Lou right about last year being the anomaly? So the the question I have to ask you is, why do you hate the Islanders? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't hate the Islanders. Um, you know, in the in the pantheon of teams that I probably have hated in my life. I think that they've ranked behind the Rangers and the Flyers. Um, we'll take it. <laughs> and and probably behind the Penguins for most of my life too. I mean, keep in mind, like I'm, you know, in my mid forties. So I grew up with the Devils in the nineties. And and at the time, the Islanders were not necessarily the arch rival, right? It was the Penguins and the Flyers and the Rangers. So I don't I don't have hate in my heart for the Islanders in the same way that I did for those teams growing up. And plus 
my dad uh, was an Islanders fan before he became a Devils fan. I, I made him into a Devils fan because we lived in Jersey. And if I was going to get into hockey, then he had to follow the same team I did because he had to, you know, obviously like buy me tickets and stuff. Um, but growing up, I had all this Islanders memorabilia in my basement. I had a, a Bill Gallo cartoon from the New York Daily News celebrating their four straight cups and all this stuff. So I was kind of inundated with Islanders stuff too as a kid. So hate, don't hate the Islanders. I, don't know. I, I, I just not yet. Poke, not, not yet, at least. Yeah. Maybe, maybe after these playoffs. Since, since every you know national hockey writer hates the Islanders because you know that's that's the fans thing, at least uh, to some extent. Uh, kind of tongue in cheek, but well, also you got to remember, like, how could I hate a team that's got thirty-two different bars in their arena? I mean, like, oh, that's that's, that's a great point. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> and then the uh, the hockey guys, the the TikTok squad was uh, was there the other night at the Heineken bar, or whatever was doing their thing, I, I guess. Um, but looking at the team now on the ice, the offense was kind of the big concern. Do you think it can kind of sustain what it's been through the first, you know, almost quarter of the season? You'd hope that, that it can. Um, you know, the fact that Barzell's had this weird non-goal scoring season, but yet has been an integral part of their offense is kind of an intriguing side note to their success. But, um, you know, their, their expected goals percentage is a little bit underwater at 515. You'd like to see that get better. Um, you know, the goals got gotten in their success. Um, defensively, their PK has been great, you know, which I think probably also speaks to how good Sorokin's been as well. Um, so, again, like it, it's an offensive league. You, you have to be able to score in order to survive. <laughs> And uh, their their offense, in my opinion, at least, is probably out kicking its coverage a little bit. Right. And it's certainly been so shocking. You kind of look at Lane Lambert's systems a little more aggressive, which is it, it feels like they're playing almost like Rangers hockey just without the Artemi Panarin level talent, which is, is going to be very interesting to see if that can keep up because you don't have the guys that can score, you know, 100 points in a season. Yeah, correct. And I mean, that's kind of been... The problem with the Islanders uh, in, in every incarnation, the successful ones or the unsuccessful ones, is like at the end of the day, you need players to be able to put the puck in the net. And there's like, I mean, you tell me five you can depend on maybe on a regular basis that that have the ability to score a goal on this team. You know, whether it's uh, Barzell when he's scoring goals, whether it's Andrews Lee from two feet out, you know, there's only a few guys in the team that you can genuinely look at and say, I trust this guy to, to score in a big spot. So you know, it's usually a team effort, that, and that's to the fact that they don't have that assemblage of high-end offensive talent that the Rangers have, or, you know, in some cases, the Devils might even have now. Right, and I was going to bring up the Devils in my next question. They've kind of taken the, the East by storm, right? They're the only team that the Islanders trail in the Metropolitan as of this, you know, fifteen game uh, first 15 games. What has been the biggest difference that you've seen in them from last year where they're taking, you know, a player in the top three versus now where they – can't seem to lose. Well, obviously they fired Lindy Ruff, so that helps. Um, oh wait, no, that they didn't do that. Didn't they? <laughs> they kept him around, and now the fans are apologizing to him for having said that he should be fired. It's basically three things that had to change the Devils this year. One is that they had to be healthier, um, and already the injury bug is hitting a little bit. They lost Andre Palat for a few months. They lost Mackenzie Blackwood. Um, you know, the, the goaltending last year, the injuries that hit the goaltending were atrocious and, and really what sunk the season. Um, so health has been better. Hughes, Heischer, Hamilton, the Triple H of the of Devils, all healthy so far. Um, 
The other thing they had to do is be better on special teams. Their power play has been better than it's been last season. That's a credit to Andrew Burnett, the former Florida Panthers coach that they bought in to run the power play. And then the biggest thing is they needed to get a save. Like they, their goaltending sucked the last couple of years. And, and it was partially because the best laid plans they had to bring in a, a Corey Crawford or Jonathan Bernier didn't work out because of injury. Um, now they bring in Vitek Vanacek. And so far he's been what they needed. I mean, slightly above average, getting saves that they want at, at critical times and and being a stabilizing force in a position that's been completely chaotic for the last few seasons. So all that's going while at the same time, the Lindy Ruff system has been uh, excelling under the uh, the talent and, and the speed of the forward group. And it's all kind of just looking for them right now. And then, of course, it's kind of a, a good time for them to start their you know, ascent through the Metropolitan because you look at the other teams, you know, the Penguins have struggled, the Capitals. It seems like every single guy on that Stanley Cup team that was left somehow now is injured. So it's a really unique time in the Metropolitan where there's a lot of different teams that are struggling and, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes are still there, but the Rangers even have taken a bit of a step back from last year. Yeah, and that's why it's good to bank points now. I mean, you don't know if the, the Penguins are going to get on a roll. You don't know what the Capitals are going to look like once they get some of their injured guys back. Um, you know, the Rangers probably are going to figure themselves, themselves offensively at some point. Um, it's been a weird year for them in the sense that, like, last year, metrically, they stunk, but they were scoring a bunch of goals. This year, their analytics are good, but they can't score. It's very odd. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good for the Islanders and the Devils, I think, to get as, as much banked as they can now before some of these other teams in the division kind of figure their stuff out. Right, and circling back to the Islanders and a guy that you mentioned earlier, Matt Barzell, there's some weird, like, energy that Islanders fans always need to be angry at something. I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter, <laughs> but I, I guess recently it's been Matt Barzell where – People are complaining he hasn't scored a goal, but he's got, you know, he's an, he's an assist per game. So he, he's reaching that plateau that you wanted of being a point per game player. Maybe not the percentages that you expected of him maybe having five goals and 15 assists, something like that. When you look at it from kind of a, I guess a macro level, is there concern that a guy, your best, your supposed best player isn't scoring or can the assist be enough for a guy like Matt Barzell? I mean, I know about the Twitter. I mean, I've been the guy on Twitter that <laughs> yeah. uh, in the honors fan base, so I know how that works. Um, no, I mean, listen, if you, you're, you're paid to score goals, and, and goals are at a premium. And, and, and if you're Matt Barzell, you have to produce in that category. It's not good enough to just compile assists, um, even if you are creating offense by doing so. The interesting thing about Barzell is, so they've secured him on a long-term deal, and that's great. I still think he's the complimentary superstar to someone else. And I think that's the Islanders problem right now. Like if you had Barzell and somebody, whether it's Patrick Kane, who I hear has got an affinity for Barzell and keep that in your back pocket at the trade deadline, whether it's, you know, someone else, whether it's Connor Bernard, whether it's something maybe a notch above Matt Barzell on the star scale, then Barzell becomes incredibly valuable. He becomes um you know the the quintessential player to play alongside or on another line with a player like that and, and i and it's not to besmirch him i think he's a great player i just don't know if he is ever going to manifest as being that franchise level guy that you know to throw a name out there like john Tavares was for many years with the islanders and i, and I was gonna say you know they they had that guy in john Tavares, yeah. and i always wonder right and and barzell was perfect i mean you know they, he was cast in the role as the like holding down the fort on the second line you know, Tavares did his thing on the top line, and that's, 
you know, not to relitigate the past, but I mean, that's one of the reasons why it stung so much when he left, besides him being obviously a traitor, as we all know. Um, <laughs> but like, but like, you know, they had it all set up. They were building their future based on the fact that John Tavares was going to be there for the next eight years. And when he left, it, 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 it you know, cut them out, cut them off at the knees as far as what that planning out to be. Right. And, and maybe Brock Nelson can be that guy moving forward. But and we're, and we're with Greg Wachinski of ESPN here on the Believe in Islanders podcast. This is a question that I've been I've been dying to ask you since I guess last January. We we talked about the uh, the Taco Bell chicken wings, and I <laughs> said I said they were great. And then ten minutes later, the, the stomach wasn't feeling too good. So maybe I spoke too soon on that. But what is your go to Taco Bell order? All right. So I, okay, that, this is a great question. And uh, for those who don't know, I'm a Taco Bell scholar. I have the big big Taco Bell plans coming up in the future, hopefully. Because I love Taco Bell, something ridiculous. I start off with a steak quesadilla, and the steak quesadilla. Now, keep in mind, most of the time I'm eating Taco Bell in the car. I'm not taking it anywhere, eating it in the restaurant. These are all items that I have to be able to eat by resting them on the passenger seat. The steak quesadilla is a perfect table setter. You can rip it apart pretty easily. The steak is great. The sauce on the quesadilla is great. It's a perfect, you know, appetizer to the rest of the meal. I'm hitting up a cheesy gordita crunch, beef. Um, again, a perfect item. The quarter pound of cheese of, of Taco Bell, if you will. Uh, after that, then it gets a little weird. You know, those are the two staples of any order for me. But then I'm usually going to go down the road of getting a beef burrito type item. And it all depends on how hungry my tummy is. Uh, if I'm going to go with something large that has like nacho cheese on it, or if I'm going to go smaller scale value menu side. And then the other one's a wild card, man. It's all it's all whatever I'm feeling, you know. Whether that's usually where you're going to find me trying out a new item, you know, or, or 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 something that I haven't had in a while. So the three staples are steak quesadilla, cheesy burrito, crunch beef, and then a beef burrito type thing. And then there's that wild card slot. What I never get is nacho fries because they suck, and I still don't quite understand the cult of of affection that exists for this inferior product. They're not good French fries. They're, they they are something that takes up space in your diet away from much better items on the Taco Bell menu. And yet we it perpetuates. People love them, apparently. See, that's a great point because I've gotten them a couple of times, not this iteration of them. And I'm excited for them. And I eat them I'm like, wait, this is not what I wanted. These are like Mediocre. cold, soggy yeah. French fries. Yeah, it's not good. Go go. You get fries from, from places, you know, can do them well, like McDonald's. I don't go go get a taco at McDonald's because I know they don't do it well. So. Right. You know, it's the same reason I have a problem sometimes going to like a combination Taco Bell KFC or a combination Taco Bell pizza. You can only be good at one thing. And if you're spending your time trying to t perfect how good <laughs> the biscuits are or how good the chicken the, the, the chicken thighs are, then you're not paying proper attention to how good the burritos need to be. So, you know, that's another that's another tip. Go go to the pure Taco Bells if you can and not the combo Taco Bells. Yes, I think part of your your experience for, for getting some Taco Bell content out there is you, you got to work there because I worked there for about a month. And my brother's wedding was in the middle of that. So I was there for like two weeks, really. And I, plus anyone that works in fast food, it was too fast for me. I couldn't think to type the buttons as fast as people were giving me the order. So I had to quit right away. But you get like $15 free Taco Bell every shift. So like, if you're looking to, to really dive into it, Greg, if you need, maybe over the summer, just be like, hey, I'll work two shifts a, a week. Now you're getting $33 in Taco Bell. And it was, that's where I really dabbled in like the, the quesarito and the, the, the big ticket items, because me, I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll, my goal is to have as many items for as few costs. So I'll go like the um, 
the beefy burrito melt with like those strips are in it. The five the layer beefy great. is yeah, in there. Yeah, great. It's a great burrito. Yeah, that's usually yeah. that's the very very high in rotation one for me in that beef burrito slot. And then the uh, the build your own cravings box is also if you need a drink if you're getting a Baja Blast in there that that's a cheat code because you're getting three you're getting a, a crunch wrap a five layer beefy and and a taco for like seven bucks it's a great deal as well but. You bring up uh, two very interesting things. First of all, I, I implore everyone, if you're a parent, if you're if you're young and you're watching this, work in food service, man. The people that I I connect with the best in life and the people that I think for the most part are good people have worked in food service at some point in their lives and they understand customer service and they understand the the, necess the necessity of teamwork and and they understand that like once you've mop the floor at, at one in the morning at a burger king like i did when i was in high school that it, it, there's no place to go but up and so it humbles you the second thing is that if i were to enact your plan and take a couple shifts at taco bell during the summer when there's no hockey they would think i'm a narc like there's absolutely <laughs> no way they would not think i'm a cop and so it probably can't happen <laughs> oh man that's so good um getting back to the the less important stuff hockey your job the thing that we love to talk about um when, when the nh or when espn got the nhl rights how did that kind of change your job going from a sport that the nhl didn't actually have a or the espn didn't have necessarily a stake in the nhl to now being one of the premier premier partners well it makes it, it makes it easier in a lot of ways i mean like we get more promotion um you know they had me and arda ocal doing a streaming show now on youtube that obviously doesn't exist if we don't have the nhl rights um, but other than that, you know, it's kind of the same gig as it's been. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I write a lot, whether we have the rights or not. And, um, and it's only gotten cooler to do so because you know that more people are going to be reading it and then it gets promoted even more. Right. And, and looking at your time at ESPN and before that with, with Yahoo, is, is there a favorite kind of project or, or a story that you've worked on throughout your career that really stands out? Is there, is there one thing where you're like, I can't believe I did this? Oh, it's covering the Olympics, man. Like I, I never thought coming into like hockey writing and hockey blogging that I was going to be someone who'd cover the Olympics with regularity. And so I, I went to Vancouver with Yahoo. Then I went to London with Yahoo because they had me kind of covering um, summer Olympic sports that didn't have any coverage or anybody attached to cover them. So like I did fencing and all kinds of cool stuff. I, I carved out in that Olympics and in Rio uh, the beach volleyball gig, which was a really smart decision on my part. And then I covered the Sochi Olympics too. So just being able to cover those Olympic games is something I never thought I'd have an opportunity to do um, as a blogger starting out. I mean, I thought that would just be, if I covered them, it'd be from my basement, <laughs> not necessarily on the ground. But the cool thing is that like over time, you you, you start to you know experiment and do different skill sets and and one of the things I'm really good at is kind of parachuting into a place and, you know, covering what that's like. Um, you know, I just did it again in Tempe for the opening of Mullet Arena, you know, like just going there and and letting people know the ins and outs of an event. And and so the Olympics were kind of that beat. And so um, by far the coolest thing I've done as a sports writer is go and cover the Olympics. And what was being out there in at Arizona State like? Because this is a highly <laughs> sort of can not controversial. I'll call it controversial arena. You know, it's it's something that needs to work for Arizona for a couple of years. Was it like as cool a party as it kind of looked like from the outside? 
You can call it controversial, man. There's a lot. Of, there's a ton of people. I mean, listen, the amount of, of Quebecois reporters that were in Tempe that were like there to cover the, the opening of a, a, a Coyotes arena will tell you that there's a ton of people in other parts of North America who believe that the Coyotes should not exist. Um, it was dope. Uh, like they seeing hockey in such a small venue. Uh, and by that, I mean NHL hockey is usually something that's rever- reserved for like preseason um you know when the nhl will occasionally play games in weird places in the preseason and and then then you're watching you know ahlers and echlers instead of like the pros so to actually be able to go to like tempe and see artemi panarin up close or or you know anybody who comes through town up close if you're a coyotes fan is incredible and you know the 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 enthusiasm is really cool from the student section um they're they're gonna lose a ton of money on concessions and things like that that's obvious but um, they might be able to fulfill one of the obligations that they wanted to do at this arena, which is to create new fans, you know, get a kid from, from ASU that's never gone to a hockey game before. And then he goes and goes to this game and he's like, okay, I dig it now. I'm a Coyotes guy. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the possibility exists for that to happen. And, and the environment there was, was really fun. And like, as somebody who likes to go and travel to see my team on the road, uh, when I get a chance as a fan, probably before I started doing like, like this job, uh, taking a roadie to go see your team in Tempe, you could do a lot worse than that. You can do a lot worse than going to see your team in that arena um, for a unique environment and then go and hang out in Tempe, which is a really, really, well, it's a really, really fun town, but also like much better than Glendale. <laughs> for sure. Um, and just to kind of wrap things up, I see you just dropped a, a story on ESPN plus predicting next year's hall of fame class beyond that, or including that, uh, is there anything else you want to kind of plug and show where people can find yourself? Yeah, that story is fun. I mean, like, I think we all assume Lundquist is in next year. Um, and if he's eligible, I think he is <laughs> based on everything I've learned. Um, but, uh, you know, Alex McGillney is the guy that I really want in there. And, you know, the Hall of Fame is a place for players that have great statistical achievement, which he does, you know, championship success, which he's had. And more than anything, like I like walking into the Hall of Fame and pointing at somebody and being able to tell their story to somebody who may not be familiar with them. And McGilney was the first Soviet player to defect. I mean, that's an incredible story. And then to come over and, and also be a perennial all-star and, and, a, and a superstar player during his day, I thought was was really remarkable. But give that a read. And other than that, every Thursday on the uh, NHL and ESPN YouTube, it's me and Art Ocal with, with the drop. Um, it's a fun show. It's a lively show. We debate some stuff. We have some cool guests on. Um, it's just kind of, you know, ESPN's got all this hockey coverage now, and we wanted to kind of fill the the little fun niche of, of weirdness, the jersey fouls and weird questions, the coaches niche. And I think we do that quite well. And ice creams and uh, what birthday cakes to the face that uh, Arda took last season, right? With, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he he he's got a I don't I would call it almost a fetish of getting uh some <laughs> pies and cakes thrown in his face, usually from mascots, which makes it even weirder. Um, but he's an awesome dude, man. He and I really um clicked uh, at, at this gig. Maybe it's because we're both wrestling guys. I don't know, but uh, um, to finally be able to do it with him on the regular has been a real thrill for me. For sure. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Of course, we thank Greg Wyshynski for joining us here on the Believe in Islanders podcast. Spicy takes on Taco Bell from one Greg Wyshynski. When, when I heard him say he starts with the steak quesadilla, my jaw dropped for a minute. I'm not going to lie. Not because it's good or bad, but because 
to start with the quesadilla that's already like a $7 item is, is preposterous in my eyes. I'm also two years out of college, and my go-to for Taco Bell is to order as many items for as cheap as possible. And I achieve that more often than not. Uh, but speaking of achievements, let's get to the top five, bottom five. We'll run through it pretty quickly because it's basically the same as it is every week. You know, some finagling here or there. But I love the Devils. I'm all in, baby. I am riding the New Jersey Devils train. They are dynamic. They are talented. They are getting goaltending, believe it or not. Jesper Bratt's a stud. Nico Heischer's a stud all of a sudden. They're a good team, and they're 10-0 in their last 10 games. So they're number one. The Bruins are number two. They're just as good at 9-1. and one. Vegas is three. The Islanders are four. They're still up there, baby. And Carolina is five. So nothing really changed in this mix, except for the order from last week. But the Islanders being a top five team in the NHL did not have that on my bingo card. But here we are. Uh, bottom five. No St. Louis Blues, baby. They're finally making it out after a three-game winning streak, and they're currently beating the St. Louis Blues, or the Chicago Blackhawks, excuse me, 5-2, as we record the podcast, over on TNT. So we'll start at 28. The Vancouver Canucks kind of stink still, as we said. Qu- quite haven't figured it out just yet. Might be too little too late, if I'm being honest. Uh, 29, the Coyotes they beat the Islanders, but they stink. They're not good. Like, it's it's... It's hard because when you look at the top five, bottom five, and you look at the the pure bottom five of the league, I'm not, you know, the Senators, like, they're there. They're they're my 20, they're my 30th team, so they're right behind uh, Arizona, but they should be better than that. Like, I don't think Ottawa's a bad team. I would argue Montreal's a worse team, but Montreal right now is above 500, and the Senators aren't, so I can't quite do that. Uh, Right, right. Rounding things out, excuse me, 31 Columbus, 32 Anaheim. Believe it or not, Anaheim does not have a regulation win all season long. They're 5-10-1 with zero regulation wins, and that is astonishing to me. It is crazy that they have yet to win in regulation. That's a fun, talented team that they're just getting such bad goaltending. Oh, 70 goals allowed, tied for Vancouver. For the most in the NHL, they're really struggling, man. And John Gibson might be washed. Like, he, he might just not be good enough anymore. And that's kind of sad to see. That's a team that's always fun to watch, but it's not quite it for them right now. Well, let's get to the week ahead for the Islanders. Back to the Isles for a moment. Tomorrow or Thursday, if you're listening to this tonight, I guess you could say, they're taking on the Nashville Predators, who have been struggling a little bit. Their goaltending's been shaky. UC Saros has not been the goaltender you kind of expected. The team has taken a step back. Matt Duchesne isn't having the year he had last year. So that's a game you should probably win. Saturday against Dallas, that's a tough game. Then you wrap up the week. Monday in Toronto and hosting Edmonton at home on Wednesday. Again, I would like to see you go three or four, win three games, lose one of them. If you sweep the week, that'd be incredible. That'd be unbelievable. But Toronto's heating up. Dallas has got a great goaltender and Jake Ottinger coming back and they're, they've gotten a resurgence from, I think, Tyler Sagan even, if I'm not mistaken. I'll pull up his numbers real quickly. But they're leading the Central Division. Like, that's a good team. And they're getting some scoring from the guys you expect, right? Robertson, Rupe Hintz is having a really good year. He's got 20 points in 16 games. 
But how would Jamie Benn, 15 points? Tyler Sagan, 11 in 16 games apiece. Like, that's not what you expect after Jamie Benn had just a terrible year last year. But that's a team that if they keep up that production from Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and they're getting the goaltending you know they can get, that's a sneaky team that could, believe it or not, push for a Stanley Cup in a wide-open Western Conference. Because last year, they were all one line. This year, you've got your top line with Robertson. Now you've got a second line with you know Sagan and Ben. And then it's kind of all about the, the depth pieces. Maybe make a move at the deadline. So good on them for, for doing some nice things out there in Dallas. Uh, again, wrapping things up, I think you definitely beat Nashville. I think you can beat Dallas. That'll be a tough game, though, because they can score and they've got a shutdown goaltender just like you do. So if they're taking, if you're trading chance with them, you've got to make sure your goaltender is better than theirs. And I'd put Sorokin up against anyone in the NHL, but that's a tough matchup for the Islanders. And then Toronto, they've got, they're missing, I think, both their goaltenders at this point. Or I think they got Matt Murray back, actually, who you should be able to beat. And then Edmonton, that's a treat to watch. The day before Thanksgiving, sit back, kick your feet up, enjoy Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and just hope the Islanders can kind of match their scoring. And that's a good test for them, too. Not because the goaltending is great for Edmonton, but because they can score seven on you pretty easily. Maybe not the Islanders, but they can score on you pretty easily. So that'll be exciting for that game. We'll be off next week, actually. No show for Thanksgiving. But we'll be back the following week to recap not only this past week, that's this week that's coming up, the week after that as well. We'll try to get a guest in there for you guys. But to wrap up the show, our best bets. We're 8-4 on a heater, 3-0 and last week. We won Arizona under 2.5. We won Columbus minus 1. Or, Columbus, Colorado minus one and a half against Nashville. And we won the St. Louis San Jose over six last Thursday. We've got three picks for you on Thursday. I love the Devils money line taking on Toronto. On a 10 game winning streak, they're plus 130. You don't get that everywhere else. And obviously, you know, on the money line, you kind of favor the home team if the teams are comparable and the Devils and Maple Leafs are comparable to this point. But I love to get the Devils getting plus money. I really love the Dallas and Florida under seven at minus 135. Ottinger and Nett, they've gotten scoring on both ends, but I just think the goaltending stands out there. I could see it being a, a 3-2 game or you know a 4-2 kind of game. And then this is something I think we'll be doing a lot more recently, is taking the under goal total for the opposing team the Islanders face. Nashville especially is a good one for this. Arizona last week was a good one for this. But Nashville under two and a half against the Islanders is plus 145. Nashville's offense is not great. Now, could they beat the Islanders? Absolutely. But the beauty of this is that if they score two goals and the Islanders score one or zero, you still win the bet. So I'm betting on Ilya Sorokin. I'm betting on Semyon Varlamov to keep it low scoring against an offense that has really struggled in the Nashville Predators. So those are the three picks. We'll update those in a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll get one out during the break as well. We'll... You know, if you want to see that, follow us at Believe in Isles on Twitter. Me at Matt Watling 99 on Twitter. And the game of the week. Last week, Eichel returned to Buffalo on ESPN+. Plus. That did not disappoint. This week coming up, a battle of two Pacific Division foes, the Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers, Saturday, 10 p.m. Not on any national TV, but you can catch it on ESPN+, Plus, where you get all of the, basically, any, any NHL game you want you can get on ESPN+. Plus. So go give that game a watch. Sit back, enjoy that game. I certainly will be. But with that said, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you to Greg Wyshynski for joining us. And we'll catch you guys in two weeks right here 
on the Believe in Islanders podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.